0: You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Okay, we continue with our uh, pursuit in, in understanding this whole area of witnessing. And we are going to be Philippians chapter uh, one this morning. If you want to turn in your copy of the scriptures there, we do have it on the wall as well. But we're in this section in the New Testament tracking uh, the responsibility of witnessing and being a witness engaged and how it looked as Paul talked to uh, the uh, believers uh, in the churches that he and his ministry team established. And, and so it's not going to have the appearance of what uh, we typically are approached with today when it regards to uh, witnessing and uh, and being a witness or doing evangelism Uh, because we're typically approached with we're going to have this seminar, we're going to have training on evangelism and uh, we're going to have uh, this individual lead us or there's going to be a conference and the focus is going to be on evangelism and, and so we, we, we announce things ahead of time and we have these programs, these events uh, pertaining to this whole area of witnessing. And and it's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying we're not accustomed. When we come to the New Testament, we're not going to be encountered. We're not going to encounter that kind of interaction on the pages of Scripture. But obviously, obviously they got the ministry of witnessing accomplished. And so it, I think it's very important and helpful for us to simply look at the scriptures and, uh, and see what we can glean from uh, these first century believers, including the apostles, and how they accomplished this great task while not using... Uh, the means and methods that we use today how in the world did they get it done you know just in my short lifetime there's been a big big super big transition in the way that we communicate Um, when I was born into this life um, in 1953 uh, many homes but most homes did not have television sets so that was a new medium of communication that people were just getting into. And if somebody had a TV, that was a big deal, especially if they had a color TV. That was something. And, and we still used, when I was growing up, um, a rotary dial phone. And if you put that in front of people today, they'd probably wonder what to do with it if they were younger. Like, what is this? But you remember the rotary dial phone. And in our, in our phone it was a, a party line which meant that uh, we shared that line with at least uh, three other families that were in the neighborhood um, and uh, and we had the radio and I would listen to the Tigers ball games uh, through the radio and a lot of times it would barely be coming in and it'd be choppy like that but I'd listen to the game and, and if we communicated with someone else we wrote letters and, uh, and so that, that was where we were at when I was growing up. Uh, but now, you know, who writes letters? You write text messages. You write email. You, you do it through this little device in my hand. I can uh, communicate in all of those ways. And I, Greg has a comment here. I said some do. Some, do. <laughs> some refuse to come to the 21st century. <laughs> Uh, but you are here, and you are in the midst of this revolution of communication. So how in the world do, do you know, now we have a variety of ways to communicate the gospel. It's, it's changed. But how in the world did they get the gospel communicated in the 1950s when they didn't have, you know, the computers and Facebook and social media and just a variety of ways that uh, have sped up communication, made it more versatile if my friends in Russia were awake, awake right now, I could use WhatsApp and we could actually have a video call in, in live time, you know, and just talk with them. It's amazing to think about that reality. The communication has changed a lot. So how did it get done in the 1950s? How in the world were they able to get this done in the first century when everything seemed to be so slow? going to go and preach christ in this city it's going to take you a week minimum to get there on foot or it's going to require that you take a ship oh that's going to be two to three weeks minimum and then we're going to have to walk and have to walk to the port once we get to the next port we're going to have to walk from there how in the world did they get it done So that's why I believe, but they did. The point is they did. So they weren't dependent, nor are we dependent upon the various means of communication. We can use them and should use them, but that isn't the basic of the dynamics that we need to know in being a witness and witnessing. So in Philippians chapter 1, he's talking to the Philippians, and he Makes this interesting statement, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Well, where was Paul when he wrote Philippians? Philippians is one of the four letters that's known as what? Anybody know? Prison epistles, which indicates that Paul was in prison and not for a day or two. And he says, I want you to know, understand this, that everything that has happened to me has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Now we've seen from Romans, <clears throat> and it's stated elsewhere, that Paul was clearly understood that, that the Lord Jesus Christ had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And yet in the will of God, in the sovereign will of God, he leads him To prison. Now it wasn't that he had a vision and said. The Lord wants me in prison. I'm going to go commit a crime so I get there. (laughs) That was not Paul part of Paul's strategic planning. (laughs) But it was part of God's strategic planning. And as he followed God and pursued his will. That meant for a period of time that he was in prison and not just once. And he says, understand this, that even though this is my passion, this is my call, this is what my life is about now, is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. I am in a, I'm very limited right now from the standpoint of actually getting out and talking face to face with Gentiles because I sit here in this prison. But, understand this, this is for the furtherance of the gospel. he says, and that's what it's all about. It's really not about me. It's about what God and our Lord Jesus Christ is doing for the furtherance of the gospel. And this actually helps (coughs) in the furtherance of the gospel. How's that? So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Because the first, the first inclination that you have and the first impression that you have when someone is in jail or in prison is what? They did something wrong. Then why would they think anything different? This guy is in prison because he broke some law. That's the only reason people end up here. but through Paul's, whatever he was doing, and I say that because we don't have a a laying out exactly how he conducted himself, but he conducted himself consistent with the message of the gospel and the transformation of the gospel so that as he spent time in jail, in prison, those who were guarding him it became evident that this guy wasn't like the other guys and that he was there on trumped up charges. And I'm sure Paul didn't go in there and say, I really didn't do this. You know. It's not uncommon when somebody's in jail when they or prison they, they might indicate, you know, I, I really didn't do it. Well, <laughs> um, jailers and prison guards I think, kind of get accustomed to hearing that to some degree. The point is that his life exemplified the gospel. He was being a witness not only through his message, which is vitally important, but through his life. His life and his message reflected one another. And uh, it was very evident why he was in chains because of his commitment to Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ that speaks volumes to us if we just sit there and ponder it because God is sovereign and providential in the circumstances and situations of our lives every one of us and if if our true commitment is to follow Christ and serve Christ and pursue Christ then we can have this confidence and we can have this knowledge that whatever circumstance and situation that we're in, we're there because of the providence and purpose and sovereignty of God. Therefore, we can live out the gospel in those circumstances rather than focusing on ourselves. Paul did not focus on himself, obviously, in trying to exonerate himself He didn't apparently at this point in time say, I'm a Roman citizen. He could have pulled that card, but he didn't. At least one other time he did. uh, After this. But. Or prior to this. And so this says a lot to us. Without spelling it out. Dot by dot, word by word, a key component in being a witness for Christ is living that transformed life that the gospel is all about. He says it's for the furtherance of the gospel. We move on then to Second Thessalonians in chapter 2. So here we're in a different city, a different group of believers, the church in Thessalonica. And he expresses this, verses 13 and 14, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, plural, the ministry team, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. <clears throat> and he goes on to verse 14 to indicate the context in which the, this message was preached and this message was received. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. So you suffered the same type of reactions from your fellow citizens in Thessalonica as the believing Jews did from the Judeans. Persecution, suffering, simply for receiving this message and embracing this message through faith. But the point is, you heard it from us. You heard, which meant, Communication, talking, that's what we've been emphasizing all the way through this, that a dynamic in witnessing is simply opening our mouths and talking to people. Before we get to the methods, let's just focus on that vital truth. And we keep coming back to it because it's right there in Scripture, and the Scriptures keep bringing us back to it by the fact that we just keep seeing Scripture after Scripture. So I could just list all of these references and say, you know, to be a witness, we've got to talk and then give you 15, 20, 25, 30 scripture references. But I want us to see it because I believe that not just us, but uh, any group of believers needs to hear this in the 21st century over and over and over to let it sink in. We've got to talk. We've got all of these wonderful ways of communication today Let's talk. Let's 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 use them to talk about Christ, about the gospel. But you heard it from us, Paul said. First Peter. So now we're we're looking with the apostle Peter. First Peter chapter one verse twelve. Oh, I am supposed to be forwarding this. I'm forwarding it on my computer, but not on the wall here. So I'll get you caught up here. Whoa, there we go. We missed the Colossians one. Let's go back there. How did we miss that one? Paul said to Colossians, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. But uh, preaching, teaching, communicating, substance, a great body of, of substance of truth concerning the gospel. So as we go through the New Testament, Paul never had situations, it appears to me, where he just gave him a minimum amount of information or truth. Preach, teach extensively. I think that's important for us today because we need to have more of a long view of witnessing. That means whatever the situation is that we're, the person that we're talking with, we may have just a short amount of time, but Communicate as much truth as is reasonable in that context, having the confidence that if God is working, He's going to bring additional truth with others contributing to the process. Um, but it's it's a thorough presentation of the gospel. First Peter chapter one: to them it was revealed not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have, what? Preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. But Peter says, we preach. And and those who have preached, so he's talking about others who are communicating, proclaiming the gospel. Remember the word preach there in these contexts is primarily emphasizing proclamation. So here we see, Another indicator, another little window that tells us that that though that, that the proclamation of the gospel went well beyond the apostles. And so they equipped they the believers with the truth, and then they said, Go tell. Isn't that what Jesus did when he worked in people's lives and, and brought them to the faith? Then he would say, Now go and tell. Go and tell what things God has done for you. And they equipped believers with the truth. And then they said, go tell, go proclaim. That's the method, just go proclaim. Go tell others what you know. And what they knew is what the apostles and the ministry team had taught them, and what they taught them was very thorough, very clear, and very complete. But go proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. Okay? So now we move to the responsibility engaged. And so we've been looking at uh, the responsibility um, engaged. Well, where are we going here? Yeah, we're going back here. I better follow my own PowerPoint. Yeah, we're right. I don't want to do that. I'll follow the screen. (laughs) Acts 11. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now let's stop right there. I want to make an observation. Um, And you're saying, please do. Thank you. I will. It talks about Maybe I was hitting the wrong. This is what happens when you're coordinating two. Okay, now we're back to Philippians. That that makes sense. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. So Paul says, what's happening here, folks? We're bouncing around. I'm sorry. I apologize. But we it's all about the gospel here. Um, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. So this is Philippians. Um, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, but the point is they're preaching, proclaiming Christ. So Paul is saying there are some issues going on here, and uh, with these issues with attitudes and personalities and... The the indications are there that there were people who had wrong motivations um, for what they were doing. But Paul says, um, he's not excusing their motivations. He's not saying it doesn't matter. But he says in the big picture, uh, realize this, that even with that, the gospel, Christ is being proclaimed. They may have other intentions with it, but the gospel is being proclaimed. And it says, uh, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition. And uh, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chain. So I don't understand all that dynamic, but, you know, as far as how somebody does that. Uh, but Paul says that I understand that's your motivation. So he doesn't seem to be taking it personally. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached or proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. But the point is that proclamation, proclamation, proclamation. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace. Your communication always be with grace. That that is a tough one. That is a tough one. And I'm not looking at Christian because it's tough for him. (laughs) In 21st century America, with the communication that's out there, the information that's out there, the information that people want to get out there, whether it's factual, reliable, or not, the the whole spirit and attitude within our country has become very politicized. A number of issues have become extremely politicized. And it's not uncommon for us to get sucked up by those who have various agendas or want to get people mobilized to particular ends, get sucked up into dialogue and interaction that is anything but gracious. Let your speech always be with grace. Always. You know, the That's that's said to all of us. But that's an important dynamic in our witness. Seasoned with salt. And here salt is talking about flavoring. I gave a ride to a, a man who had Uh, developed his own barbecue business, and it's apparently pretty big here in town because the house I picked him up at was a pretty nice house. He had pretty nice cars, and uh, it was all from this barbecue business that he had developed. And uh, so I was asking him, I said, so I wanted to see if I could get some tips. What do you put... On your, on your pork, what, what seasonings, what sauce, what, what do you pour in there and make it taste good? And he said, salt. Salt. I was looking for some kind of KC masterpiece or something, you know. Salt. He so had learned how to put the right amount of salt in there to make it taste. He says, that is what makes it taste really good. Salt. seasoned with salt. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that your, see, uh, your speech is tasteful, flavorful, not colorful. <laughs> so an appropriate use of salt here, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's very practical, because when we begin to allow our speech, our conversation to get away from us, then we begin to get distracted and taken away from the message. And so in being a witness for Christ, our our speech always needs to be with grace, seasoned with salt. And that's, that's accomplished in Christ Jesus daily. So that's an important dynamic in witnessing. I would say <laughs> that, our, that we're known for how we communicate along with what we communicate. only Thessalonians 2:8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we may not, do not need to say anything. But here he's saying to the Thessalonians, so now we, here we see this dynamic. Paul and his ministry team had been in Thessalonica for about three weeks and giving them everything they could give them with a very intense three weeks of ministry. I mean, intense in the sense of the amount of time that they were cranking into these new believers and what they were teaching them. I mean, they went in depth because as you read the epistles to the Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians, there is the breadth of theology there and a depth of theology there. And a lot of it has to do with the return of Christ, which tells us, by way of note, that the whole doctrines of the return of Christ are vitally important. So they should not be diminished by the church or put in a lesser category because there are those who say, well, there's different opinions about it. The Apostle Paul and his ministry team made sure that they taught the doctrine of the return of Christ and all the truth associated with that. And we go to these epistles, to glean important truth for us concerning the return of Christ and personalities and events that are connected with the return of Christ. But they they included that in three weeks. Would we do that today if we had three weeks to spend with a group of people and give them solid teaching, solid doctrine, solid theology? How much time would we spend in the area of eschatology? of teaching about the return of Christ. Just the question. But they did. But the point is, they taught them thoroughly, and then they, they went out, and the word of the Lord has sounded forth from whom? From whom in this context? Yeah, Thessalonians. Because you're writing to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. <laughs> yes, for me it was this morning. That's not hard to figure. They went out and they simply proclaimed what they had been taught. They proclaimed Christ. They opened their mouth and they proclaimed and they communicated. Other people from Thessalonica, in the region of Thessalonica, and he said, it, It's gone extensive in Macedonia and Achaia. So we're not just talking city and city limits in the area around the city, we're talking a whole region of Macedonia and Achaia. They went and they, they proclaimed. Okay? And what they know is your faith toward God. 2 Timothy 2 1 through 10. So here's the. Uh, responsibility engaged. Uh, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me. So Paul was teaching, communicating truth. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. So Paul communicated this vast body of truth and he says, the things that you have heard from me, now you take these very same truths and you communicate them to faithful men. So now the circle is getting bigger and it's being repeated. And with that, obviously, are the, are the uh, truths of the gospel, who will be able to teach others also. And so we the things you've heard from us, Timothy, now you take that and teach that to faithful men, and then they in turn will teach that, and they will teach others. That is the process. Teach what you know. Teach what you know. And continue to learn, but teach what you know. Communicate what you know. And as it comes to the gospel, communicate what you know. Open our mouths. Talk. But that's how they did it. They just taught. Not in a classroom type situation. Not in comfortable chairs like we have this morning. Like we have here. But they got them together and they taught. And then they said, now you go teach others. You communicate. You proclaim. And, and as they did the message of the gospel and the message of all the truths that the apostles taught were communicated. He goes on to Timothy and say, the hardworking farmer must first be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say. Give thought to what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Ponder these things and, and allow the Lord to expand your understanding as you ponder them. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So he preached the resurrection, for which I have suffered trouble as an evil, evildoer. I suffer, tr- suffer trouble because of my proclamation of the gospel, Even for the point, even to the point of chains, prison. But the word of God is what? Not chained. See, that's always been the fallacy of those who have opposed Christ. They think, well, if we chain or suppress or eliminate this individual, that individual, it's going to... No, it, the, word, the, the Word of God is not chained. You're focusing on people and you're focused on the wrong thing. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a valuable insight here. So if you have any discomfort regarding this whole concept of the elect, just kind of take that and set it aside for the moment, okay? And I don't know that any of you do, but if you do, just try to set that aside for a moment and, and observe a valuable uh, insight from this. Uh, marrying this with other scriptures that we've seen that Paul has stated. Um, con- concerning Corinth, he said, Uh, I know that God has many other people here. Paul understood that God chose people to salvation. It's what he wrote. It's what he taught. uh, Concerning election. Paul's the one who spoke the most extensively and taught the most extensively about election. The Other apostles did too, but Paul wrote most extensively about it. So he understood that wherever he went to preach the gospel, that God had chosen people unto salvation in that area, in that city. Now, did he know who they were? Absolutely not. But he knew that God had chosen people to salvation. And the means as well God had determined for how people, how those whom he had chosen would come to faith. And the only means by which people come to faith in Christ Jesus is the proclamation of the gospel, So Paul knew, taking truth and applying truth, without knowing anyone in that city before he arrived, he knew that God had chosen people to salvation, that the means for people coming to uh, faith in Christ, for any that God had chosen to actually actualize that and come to faith in Christ, was the proclamation of the gospel. So he and his ministry team knew that as they proclaimed the gospel, the spirit of God would work among the people and those that God had chosen, at least some of them would respond to the proclamation of the gospel at that time. Why did I say some of them? Because Paul and his ministry team did not have the concept that once they arrived in the city that everyone that God had chosen, they would just automatically, upon the first hearing of the gospel, come to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Nor were they arrogant enough to think that they were the only ones through whom God would work to bring people to Christ. They understood the workings and the ways of God, and they understood that as they trained people and and told them to go and, and tell others what you know, that God would use that very same message proclaimed by believers to bring any and all whom He had chosen to faith in Christ. So Paul knew that God had people in these cities, just as he did in Corinth. I have many people yet in this city. So Paul said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. I know what God's doing, and I know what God is yet to do. And I know that it's not all going to be accomplished through me. Why? Because we're a ministry team. And so it's going to be accomplished through us. But then beyond that, it's going to be accomplished also through the group of believers that God brings to himself as they continue to proclaim the gospel and proclaim the truth. But I endure all things for the sake of the elect. See, that's taking truth and applying it in a very practical way. That's how Paul was able to get through all the difficulties that he experienced in proclaiming the gospel, even as he states here. He was known as an evildoer. He was called an evildoer. He was put in prison. He was stoned. He went through incredible opposition, incredible resistance. The hashtag resistance stuff today is nothing compared to the hashtag resistance that Paul received and his ministry team as they did ministry for the sake of the gospel. It's nothing compared to what they received. But why did they continue to experience this? Why did they continue to inject themselves in local populations where they knew very likely the most likely outcome was that one week down the line, three weeks down the line, two months down the line, one year down the line, they were going to receive intense, incredible opposition, sometimes to the point of death. Why keep putting yourself in those situations? Why keep putting yourself in a context of receiving persecution? It wasn't because they derived great satisfaction in some strange way out of being persecuted. It's because they knew truth and they did all things for the sake of the elect. For, for those whom God was going to work among, they were willing to suffer a lot and even lay their lives on the line. That's taking truth and making it practical. And th- this is critical To witnessing. God's sovereign in his work of salvation. It's not up to us to affect the new birth. It's up to us to communicate the message of the new birth and by God's will be able to come to that point where we take truth that we know from Scripture and apply it in the context of being witnesses to where, by God's grace, we're willing to endure all things for the sake of the elect. Do you believe, I'm not asking you to respond to this, and we'll close with this this morning. I'm not asking you to give a verbal response. You can if you want to, but I'm not asking for that when I ask this question. Do you believe that God still has elect people in the Louisville metro area that need to come to Christ? Do you believe that? And, and what is the means for any of those people who have not yet come to Christ to come to Christ? Proclaim the gospel. That, that's the means. Now we have a variety of ways of communicating that today, but communicating the gospel. And who brings them to that place of repentance and faith? The Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? See, that's taking truth and beginning to process it and say, okay, my my strategic part in this process by God's will is to communicate what I know. I've got to talk. And there's, there's other incredible truth that we could and should bring to bear on this, but not at this point this morning. But then to be willing to come to the point where we would say, Lord, I'm willing to endure all things. And in reality, what would those all things comprise for us as Americans proclaiming the gospel in 21st century America as it exists right now? Are we going to be thrown in prison? So that's off the table. Are we going to be put to death in some manner? Probably not stoned. Stone means something else today in our culture. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody being shot. <laughs> but what what types of things do those who oppose the gospel do in our culture? What do they do? Hmm? Lawsuits? Slander? Loss of a job? That's happened. Hmm. Lower grade in school. school? Okay. Right. Public shaming. That's a favorite tactic today. Public shaming. With all the media outlets and ways of communicating and in uh, social media, public shaming. There you go. Censoring. That's just a few of realities in the 21st century America. We have to ask ourselves the question, Lord, am I at that point where I'm willing to endure all things for the sake of the elect people that I don't even know yet? See, an important part of witnessing and being a witness is taking the truth and sifting it down into the realities of our lives and the realities of our culture. And for Paul, it was different than it is for you and I. Not totally, but some significant ways. And so the as it, to be equipped and grow as a witness, we've, we've got to take these incredible truths that God has put before us and begin to sift them down even more into our lives and make them a reality in a greater way. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, today for the privilege of coming together again around your word. And we just want to grow as witnesses for Christ. Help us to do that, Lord. And uh, we just commend ourselves to you and to your grace, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.